multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. The multiverse is real. HTTP colon slash slash www.wikipedia.org defines time as a continued sequence of existence and events that occurs in an apparently irreversible succession from the past through the present and into the future. I'm not really quite sure what that means, but I know that tonight two men who are out of time, not necessarily from a standpoint that they're about to die, but out of time in that they're not in the time in which they belong. That being Flash Funk, a man who's clearly from the 1970s, some sort of a pimp nature, uh, will battle Leaf Cassidy, a man clearly frozen and out of time in the 1960s. But there's been an attack. An attack? from two vicious individuals who appear to be clones. I suppose you could say there's been an attack of the clones. Yes, I don't think there'll be any copyright infringement there. Uh, as Razor Ramon and Diesel will be challenging Owen Hart and the British Bulldog to determine who will be the reigning defending WWF tag team title holders. But in the intercontinental world in which we live, the Wild Wrestling Federation's one-two punch, the wild man Mark Marrow, and Sable will try to attempt to regain the Intercontinental Championship from a Hunter Hearst Helmsley, of which they were betrayed by a man with blonde curly hair that I don't have time to speak about any further. But in a world that has ended, where Armageddon has taken place, who will rule the Armageddon-based wasteland as the Undertaker battles the Executioner when Armageddon rules? And two men Two titans will pale in comparison to the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels who will be the guest color commentator when Powerbomb meets Sharpshooter who will be excellently executed but more importantly will Shawn Michaels be hilarious and awesome on commentary? It's the World Wrestling Federation's pay-per-view spectacular in your house. It's time. Alright, it's time to start the show. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an absolute universe-shattering edition of Concrete Man! Here on the new... No, we're on the new what? No, I can't say it. What am I supposed to say? What's the podcast feed called? Johnny C, help me out here. The multi... What? Alright, if that's what you want it to be, welcome to the very first edition of Concrete Man on the Multiverse of Fabulousness. Now, uh, I, honestly, I don't know what's going on here, so let me give it to Johnny C. Thanks, Concrete Man. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, wait a minute. <laughs> welcome to the latest edition of Concrete Man, which we'll cover in your house. It's time. In Your House, It's Time is the next step in the Concrete Man journey. But on our personal podcast journey, just a little bit of cleanup up top. Yes, I have finally been confronted by individuals. 
claiming ownership of the new letter, letter, letter. And so now, in an effort to complete brand synergy, the podcast feed is now called Multiverse of Fabulousness, which is fitting. Because I do host a show called Multiverse of Fabulousness over on the North-South Connection Podcast Network, which drops once a month. But also, you know, when you really think about what it is we do here on this podcast feed, we sort of travel the multiverse with every single show that we do. There's Planet WCW Must Die, Planet Quick Man, Planet Ring Man, Planet Concrete Man, Planet Junk Man, and every other little thing that I come up with in between just to have fun with. So, thanks for sticking with us through yet another branding change. Although I'm pretty sure this one will probably stick. Now, on to more prescient matters. Concrete Man the Show, where we watch in-your-house-based pay-per-views with Vince McMahon on commentary. And we make note of every single time he yells, IN YOUR HOUSE! And we also talk about the show along the way, because why not? Because we might as well give these in-your-houses context. Now, the last time we laid brick on concrete, man, it was in-your-house buried alive, which saw mankind get buried alive, and then The Undertaker get buried alive, and also saw Sid become the number one contender uh, for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. So much has changed, because that was October of 96, and It's Time takes place in December of 96. And now, ladies and gentlemen, heartbreak has happened. The Heartbreak Kid, the concrete man's favorite wrestler, is no longer the World Wrestling Federation Championship, as he was accosted by Psycho Sid in Madison Square Garden uh, when Psycho Sid hit Jose Lothario with a television camera. And then powerbomb Shawn Michaels straight to hell. Also, my least favorite sports entertainer, Brett Hitman Clark, returned with a new 20-year contract and battled Stone Cold Steve Austin at the Survivor Series. And while Stone Cold was defeated, his stock was elevated. Well, we'll see what he's up to on this particular show. Uh, And we also had some debuts, all right, at the uh, Survivor Series 1996. Uh, You know... uh, Flash Funk, not too important. Uh, Rocky Maivia, absolutely not important. Uh, didn't matter at all. That guy was gone in a couple months. Uh, but most importantly, Doug Furness and Phil LaFon debuted at the Survivor Series. Doug Furness. Philip LaFon. Anywho... So, there's a new crop of World Wrestling Federation superstars injected into the bloodstream of the World Wrestling Federation, courtesy of Dr. George... Well, actually, this was courtesy of Dr. Jim Ross, as he, of course, was the head of talent relations at the time. Time. You see what I did there? Time. And, you know, I just... It's Time is one of the worst in-your-house subtitles of all time. I said it again. And if you don't want to take my word for it here on Concrete Man, check out the archives where I did an episode of Ringman ranking the In Your House subtitles. That was a fun one. It's one of my favorite shows. I did that in March of 2022. Or no, 2023, because this is 2023. Where has the time gone? Well, Johnny, I think it's time to start talking about It's Time, the World Wrestling Federation extravaganza. All right, Concrete Man, very well. So, In Your House, It's Time took place on December 15th, 1996, in West Palm Beach, Florida. At the West Palm Beach 
Auditorium. We start as usual for over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports-based entertainment. I should probably mention this. We do not get the warning program contains uh, content of a graphic nature, which is weird. Because recently, the episode of Superstars that takes place on the very same day dropped on Peacock, and I watched most of it. And not only did I see Farouk battle Freddie Joe Floyd in a match that I believe lasted two commercial breaks, it lasted at least one. Um, That show started with that warning, which is weird because it's a Sunday morning show. But there was a really sweet sort of work shoot interview with Shawn Michaels because he's going to be joining us tonight to do commentary for the main event which sees two men that are not him battle for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that was work shoot interview where he talks shit about Bret Hart. Am I biased? Sure. But check it out. Anywho, we got our introduction video for It's Time. Unfortunately, it's not about the concept of what time is, which makes me oh so very sad. Uh, but it's a video about Bret the Hitman Hart wanting to be champion again. And again and again and again. He is the number one contender, having defeated Stone Cold at the Survivor Series, but Sid is the current champion, and he refuses to be excellently executed. I could give two shits less, so now it's time to say Milton Bradley Karate Fighters presents In Your House. It's time, and Vader is not even here. Welcome everyone to West Palm Beach, Florida! Welcome to the West Palm Beach Auditorium, and welcome to WWF In Your House! It's time! Couple of things here. Right from the get-go, there's an awful piercing hum penetrating throughout the arena, and it makes me sick, and the audio for this entire show in the auditorium is awful. But West Palm Beach, Florida... Vince McMahon, the concrete man himself, must not be too keyed on the idea of being here because there's no Welcome everyone to West Palm Beach, Florida, a city where suntans can be obtained, money can be spent for various forms of entertainment, and dreams can come true on West Palm Beach Boulevard. Welcome to hit your house, it's time! Just rather subdued. Not even ho 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 for the World Wrestling Federation. Welcome to bright sunny Florida. And Santa Claus is sure to be on his way in just a few weeks. For in your house, it's time. Nothing like that at all. Nothing. And it breaks my heart. Vince McMahon, Jerry the King Lawler, and uh, good old JR. Sort of not really a heel anymore, but still a heel during certain matches are on commentary this evening. We also get introduced to the Spanish commentary team as well. Carlos Cabrera, Hugo Savinovich, and another guy whose name is escaping me, and I didn't write him down. Sorry about that. Uh, didn't one of these guys, like, go to jail for not paying child support? It doesn't matter. So, the only reason I bring the Spanish announce team, uh, well, there are many reasons, but the only reason for this specific podcast is that There is a fan here in West Palm Beach behind the SATs uh, with a sign that says, Hey, Sonny, want to wrestle? Now, I'm wondering if he intentionally spelled these words wrong to make some sort of a point. Does recall WCW film uh, Ready to Rumble, Sal Banditi, want to wrestle? But I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith in Florida these days. So, who knows? On commentary, Jim Ross predicts that Bret Hart will win the World Wrestling Federation Championship by defeating Psycho Sid with the sharpshooter, which would make this the first time that Sid submits. 
Um, I don't know why, but this reminds me of the triple header where JR is like, I predict Owen Hart will be the Intercontinental Champion. Or Yokozuna. He's like, I predict, I predict Yokozuna will become the Intercontinental Champion. Alright, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Opening things up in your house. It's time. Here comes Leaf Cassidy. Of course, it's kind of in the proper context because he says opening things up in your house, it's time. Here comes Leaf Cassidy. But he doesn't say, here come two gentlemen. Here, oh, no, sorry. All right. We get, it's kicking in, folks. All right. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Opening things up in your house, it's time. He doesn't say opening things up here at in your house, it's time. And, of course, since I think it was, like, Beware of Dog, he started uh, just saying the full name of the show with the included subtitle. I guess Good Friends, Better Enemies was too long to say. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, here comes the wild man in your house. Good friends, better enemies. But here, he's definitely taken to always saying it's time. (laughs) Which I think kind of makes the whole gimmick of our show better, where he's like, ladies and gentlemen, the things we've seen here tonight pale beyond comparison in your house. It's time. Leaf Cassidy, of course, makes his entrance. He is a man out of time, here to do battle with another man that's out of time. 60s versus 70s. Jim Ross calls this a crossroads match for Leaf Cassidy. And Jim Ross knows that Leaf is very nervous. All right, you ready for Funky? Here comes a newcomer. Oh, Flash, you are so funky. The pyrotechnics ignite. Flash. Uh-huh. Here comes Flash Funk with the Funkettes, Tracy and Nadine. Why do I remember that without writing a note down? Uh, my life. <laughs> I know! That's right! Now, do you think that was something that Vince actually said or something that I added for comedic effect? <laughs> uh, anywho, anywho, uh, we get no commentary during Flash Funk's entrance. Can you imagine why? Because Flash Funk does an extended dance in the aisle. A really long, like, fucking full-on choreographed dance. I thought, I'm just can anywhere else I'd be attend. What does it take for her to see the man behind the tan for Dab fucked it up. I told you it was kicking in. I'm just cat and so am I. Uh, finally, Jim Ross, like, Vince is fucking losing his shit over by the dance, over by the fucking announce table. He is stand up dancing, ladies and gentlemen. Because Flash Funk goes to the table and we see Vince is standing up and dancing. He's like, oh yeah, come on, JR, loosen up. Uh, as Vince is dancing JR with one of my favorite lines of all time, because he says it's so dry, he's like, well, there's leader WWF right there. Oh, come on, JR, loosen up! JR promises that this match will be all about chances and high-risk offense. Flash Funk enters the ring to do some in-ring dancing now. How does Flash Funk dancer in those hu- dance or fucking? I know how he dances, but how does he wrestle in those hunter boots? Vince promises that Flash Funk flashes inside the ring as well as outside. Why is he not in jail? JR again brings up his conference with Leaf Cassidy earlier. uh, And Leaf Cassidy promised he's going to take Flash Funk and he's going to try to ground the man. 
so great. Which means, folks, uh, we're going to work the WWF style. The bell rings six minutes into the pay-per-view, for God's sakes. Okay? Now, I know there was an opening video. That's like a minute. The stand-up commentary shit's about a minute 30. Leaf Cassidy's entrance is like 40 seconds. So that's two minutes and 50 seconds of Flash Funk dancing. Math. Vince, as we get underway here, lets us know. In case you were wondering, folks, all right, this is how Vince McMahon describes things. All right, now Leaf Cassidy, primarily uh, used to participating in tag team endeavors, JR. Just, Leaf Cassidy's a tag team wrestler, so tonight's going to test his stamina. Like, I don't know. Now, granted, if Vince wasn't a fucking circus performer, then I wouldn't love him so much. We get a lock up and Flash Fox pushes off and does a little shimmy! It makes the women here in West Palm Beach puke. King compares uh, Flash Funk to University of Colorado head football coach Neon Dion Sanders. Some wrestling starts happening, but at this time, I'm more concerned with something that's happening in the front row. So in the front row, on the hard cam side, there is a dude just having himself a Sunday night. He is laid back in his chair feeling flash funky, okay? And he's got a wife beater on, and he doesn't quite have his feet up on the security rail, but I feel like he's maybe 30 seconds away from doing such a thing. And he gets taken away out of the front row by some, like, security people and replaced by, like, a there's a couple of people that come up to ringside, and they're wearing... Uh, officially licensed World Wrestling Federation Undertaker denim jackets, and they have flowers. So, here's my theory. Uh, Also, my uh, audition to play Batman, World's Greatest Detective. So, it's the night of In Your House, It's Time. And this dude has himself a ticket. This West Palm Beecher has himself a ticket. Now, he's only got one ticket. Okay? Uh, But that's not going to let it stop him from having a good time. He gets into the West Palm Beach Arena, and even though it's very small, he doesn't like his seat. He sees some open seats at ringside. My God, on the hard cam side. He fucking pulls some solid snake shit, gets past security, gets to the front row, and that's when his Sunday starts. He's like, oh, man, look what I've accomplished here. Little did he know. Those seats were open because of some sort of local radio contestant shenanigans? Because the people that come and sit there don't look like they would have organically purchased this Undertaker wrestling jacket. And that also explains the flowers. They're here because they want some sort of... And it doesn't have to be radio. It could be a Taco Bell contest. It could be they fucking donated $10 to the West Palm Beach Elementary School and won the raffle. Okay, perhaps they're official guests of the World Wrestling Federation. I don't care. All I care about is this fictional narrative of the guy in the front row that I swear is true. Maybe. Suddenly, yeah, Flash Funk with the armbar. Vince gets excited for Flash Funk doing the armbar. They do indie slash wrestling type wrestling where they spin you know, spin off of one another and counter and what have you. It gets a little silent and a fan yells, fuck him up! I don't know who he's yelling to, though. Nip up in the ring by the Leafster. And then a stunner head flip counter by the Funkster. Like, Fla- Leafcasty sort of acts, looks like he's going to do the stunner. And and Flash, like, 
flips forward and gives his own stunner counter thing. Backhand spring by Flash Funk. And then they do the acrobatic countering sequence that you'd see Owen Hart do. <laughs> At one point during this counter fest, Vince goes, Scissorand! Uh, Flash Funk then settles this counter fest by locking in the arm bar yet again. Vince hypes an upcoming match for this evening using uh, a very unique fashion that I'm not familiar with. Yas, ladies and gentlemen, the Armageddon match rules. I don't know that it rules, Vince. After all, it's just a Texas death match, but he totally flubbed himself up. Flash gets tossed into the turnbuckle and decides to show off by doing a uh, headstand. In the uh, in the corner of the top rope, like he's goddamn Teen Wolf on top of the Wolfmobile. If everybody had a boot all over the summer and run the county and I should learn the fucking words. Podcast in USA. Why are there not entire podcast series about Teen Wolf? Not the show, just the Michael J. Fox movie. And then if you run out of content, I guess you could go to fucking Teen Wolf 2 if you have to. Remember those old podcasts that used to like review a movie minute by minute? Remember that format that was popular for a while? Has anyone done that with Teen Wolf? Oh my god. Anywho, back to this fucking match out of time. Uh, someone does a reverse body press. One, two, no. Uh, the king makes a poor joke about leafing off the top rope, like, Oh, when I came off the top rope, you know, I, always, you know, I always hit my mark. Uh, king, you're not exactly known for your aerial techniques. A head scissor by Flash Fong countered into a face-first power bomb that affects both men. That's fine. Um, it looks like, kind of like a botch, which makes me think that Leaf Cassidy's push is going to get flushed down the turlet if there ever was one. This match definitely doesn't set a standard for cruiserweight bouts in the World Wrestling Federation. It just lets you know that even if they get a light heavyweight division, they're not going to do it right. Uh, Leaf Cassidy does the Al Snow head headbutts, showing that Al Snow stole the move from Leaf Cassidy. Al, how dare you? Uh... Belly-to-belly overhead suplex sends Leaf Cassidy over the top rope. Flash leaps over the top and crushes come, comes crushing down. And unbelievable! What a maneuver! We get both of them. Somersault plancha then by Leaf Cassidy. Uh, Flash is wearing purple tonight, shades of the Grimace. A clothesline from the 60s by Leaf Cassidy. Vince, Vince McMahon mentions current events in the form of a Riddick Bowe versus Galata boxing match that I didn't dare look up. Uh... We get a young, youngster-sounding chant from the crowd. They're like, Flash! 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 But it's even younger than, like, the Hardys peel-off-the-shirt girl squeal. Which is fine. Uh, it didn't have to be girl squealing. I'm just saying. It was even lower pitched than that, which means, Yes! Tonight, here at West Palm Beach, a unique form of family entertainment. Bring the kids! Go grab all! Come to the West Palm Beach Auditorium. Fan-friendly, family-friendly, and always entertaining in your house! It's time. Excuse me, I'm the grandmother that you said you should call to come down and watch the wrestling show, but you said it's in my house. Yes, in your house. It's time. Oh, it's in my house, and it's time for it to start right now. I better get home. No, Grandma, sit down. Grab some popcorn. Enjoy the sneak break. I I quit. I stop. Uh, A 
face kick by Flash Funk is called clever on the part of Flash Funk. <laughs> I, oh, this is really going off the rails. Flash is indeed getting funky in there, but he's cut off by a little gut kick. Power bomb? No. Flash Funk counters out. As he counters out and lands on his feet, he once again does his patented Flash Funk shimmy. And then punches Al Snow, and uh, we get, Can you believe that? Flash is getting funky live here in West Palm Beach Dropkick! Which means, if fucking Leaf Cassidy hadn't done a dropkick, we would have got, Flash is getting funky live in West Palm Beach in your house! It's time! We would have gotten it. I know it! Damn it! Back to you. Uh, Sky High Out of Nowhere by one Leaf Cassidy. Good for you, Leaf. Uh, JR starts to say something about how, like, everyone in the arena is enjoying the match. But he has a Freudian slip and he says, You know, uh, we could have sold more tickets. I mean, if we had more room, we'd we'd have so many more fans here, Vince. Usually I could figure out, like, when JR fucks something up or when someone fucks something up, like, what they were trying to say. But I don't understand the intent here at all. Oh, well. Dragon Sleeper attempt is poorly done by someone. Leaf Cassidy goes up top for a moonsault. No! Flash Funk rolls out of the way, and then he hits a breakdance leg sweep! He then does a breakdancing punch. Flash Funk is full of all types of funky maneuvers! You said it. Cartwheel handspring heel kick. Uh... And then he suicide dives over the top to the outside because Leaf rolls after the kick. Flash Funk! Maybe we should call him Flying Flash Funk! Oh, please don't, Vince. Triple F? This just one step too far with the alliteration. In the ring again, Leaf gets body slammed. Flash goes up top and hits the moonsault with some hang time. One, two, no! A spin kick is dodged in a clothesline from Liverpool from Leaf Cassidy because that's where the Beatles are from. Don't explain the joke. One, two, no! Uh, we get the cruiserweight counterpin sequence, both men up, standing in Siguri by the Funktacular one. What a grueling matchup, opening things up here in your house! It's time, it's time for a great wrestling match, and we're seeing one! Oh! I don't know, do I even have to fucking explain this? Opening things up in your house, it's time, and yes, it's time for a great wrestling match. Suplex by the Funkster, he dances a little bit, goes up top, hits the 450. One, two, three, unbelievable, yes! Vince tells us when it comes to individual action, Leaf Cassidy has proven himself a competitor, but not quite as much as one as Flash Funk. Uh, we see some fucking really ugly West Palm Beach faithful getting, oh, funky in the, in the fucking crowd. JR on the replay calls the 450, the shooting star press. Uh, we then cut to a promo for the Royal Rumble in Fresno from 1996 because, uh, it's an advertisement, uh, for the Royal Rumble 96. No, wait. I wrote in my notes it's a... Okay, let's just start this part over after the Flash Funk match. Alright, so normally here we'd get a promo for the Royal Rumble, but since this is the Coliseum Home Video version of It's Time, it's an advertisement that the Royal Rumble's coming out on video on March 11th, two days after my birthday. Mom, did you get me the Royal Rumble 1997 featuring exclusive Coliseum Home Video uh, interviews with uh, Pete Lazario? Mom! Ma'am! Ma'am, where's the Coliseum home video? It's my birthday!
All right. Well, hopefully uh, that youngster got himself his Coliseum home video and someone got his mother a well-deserved stiff drink. We're back in the arena and we hear a sound penetrate. Honk! All right, here we go. It's a tag team championship action coming at ya. Here come the challengers, and they do not get a warm reception in Florida. I cannot believe that these people in this arena are booing these two men. Why would they boo two outstanding athletes? It is indeed appropriate, folks, that this is match number two. Because we are getting an attack of the clones, Razor Ramon and Big Daddy Cool Diesel are coming down to challenge for the tag team title holders. They enter the ring and they do their double pyro, like Diesel does his and Razor does his. That's gotta be expensive. Standing by in the back is Kevin Kelly with Owen Hart and the British Bulldog and Clarence Mason still. Apparently... The tag team title holders have been off the same page lately, and it's all because of Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Kevin Kelly asked the Bulldog about this. I don't care, Kevin Kelly, about Stone Cold. I got my eyes on Razor Ramon and Diesel and Stone Cold. I'm out to get ya! I mean, those concepts don't really seem to agree with one another, but that's fine. Owen then berates Kevin Kelly for trying to cause friction amongst the tag team title holders. The interview is over, and here they come into the arena. So, Stone Cold Steve Austin has been giving the extended Hart family a bunch of shit lately. Uh, he's not, the, you know, the, the Hart Foundation hasn't formed. We're not even there yet. We're not, we're not, we're not at that point. But the seeds are being laid for. And apparently Bulldog and Austin were going to fight at WrestleMania 13. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, I know the show's now called the multi, the, 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 the feed's now called the Multiverse of Fabulousness. But that's a multiverse I don't even want to go to. I don't want to see that. And earlier today on Superstars, the British Bulldog tried to attack Stone Cold Steve Austin after Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated the Stalker, Barry Windham, and his mustache. Uh, but Razor Ramon and Diesel assaulted both Bulldog and Owen Hart in the aisle, and so uh, earlier today they got that upper hand. You know, how early did these Sunday morning shows start? For these guys to, you know, not only wrestle, shower, clean up, get all the way back to Florida, get back in their gear? I mean, what's... What are we doing here? What are we doing with the timeline? Uh, Vince lets us know that Owen Hart's mother-in-law is in attendance tonight. So we know there is at least one Owen Hart fan in the building. Uh, Owen Hart gets a little close to Big Daddy Cool and fuck me sideways. Kane is huge here. Like I know Kane or Glenn Jacobs, Mr. Mayor himself, is a big fat guy now. But back here, he's like a big guy. His chest is like as wide as, I don't know, a car. It's, it's, it's kind of scary. The bell rings and the match gets underway. Big Daddy Cool and Owen Hart to start for their teams. Shades of season's beatings in your house. Diesel, of course, is still looking revenge for the heartbreak kid. Shawn Michaels for Owen Hart giving him the insiguri after his battle with the Syracuse Thugs. And here's a question I pose to the world. Did the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, ever interact with the Razor Ramon and Diesel clones? And I'm serious. I don't remember him doing that. But that's kind of a missed opportunity, right? I mean, there's something there. I'm not saying it's something good, but there's something to do there. 
It's a cat and mouse game early on, but JR lets us know the action will pick up. These guys, you know, they are 45 to 50 years old. They aren't bald. They don't have artificial body parts. Well, nonetheless, Owen Hart and British Bulldog defending the WWF Tag Team Championships in your house. It's time! Well, all right. Thank you, Vince. Uh, it's a big, nice no-sell of the WCW shame, but also one of the strangest uses of the phrase I've heard. Defending the WWF Tag Team Championship in your house. It's time. Although it could mean they're defending the championships right now in your house because it's on TV. It's time. It's right now. Maybe it does make sense. Big Daddy Cool lifts Owen Hart for a big military press. But wait a minute. Who's that down there in the aisle by the entranceway? It's Cyrax and Sector. Oh, no, wait. It's actually two masked men. Cybernetico and Piroch from Triple A. I hear I'm supposed to say Triple A or else the internet gets mad. So, Triple A. Fuck. Hold on. Something's wrong with my car. I gotta make a phone call. I'm recording. Hi. Is this Triple A? No. Well, I know. Well, I need. I got a flat tire and I was. You know, I pay for the membership. Can you come tow me? I have to what? Oh, come on. Don't make me say it. I'm trying. Hey, here's the thing, lady. I, I'm actually not only just on the phone with you right now, okay, but I'm also recording a wrestling podcast. And here's the thing about professional wrestling. It's, well, yeah, well, well it's, it's, it's predetermined is what it is, R- right? You know, you know what? I don't like that. Every lady, every movie that you've ever watched is also fake, okay? What's your favorite movie? Okay, is Elizabeth Berkley really a stripper in Las Vegas? No, she just played one. Okay, and you got emotionally invested in her story, all right? Sure, Showgirls is good. Yeah, it's it's fun. It looks great. Paul Verhoeven, great, you know, great director. Okay, so if Showgirls is, if pro wrestling is fake, that means Showgirls is fake. So can we just agree that Showgirls is predetermined? Okay, very well. Because Elizabeth Berkley learned how to do them dances. Okay? And Hulk Hogan learned how to do that leg drop. Alright, so can you guys fix my car now? I have to say the name of the club properly. I have to give you... I give you my triple A number. What do you mean you don't accept triple A numbers? What do you mean this sketch is going on too long? Fine, it's triple A! Seabrot, Nedico, and Peroth from triple A are here. But a big clothesline from Detroit Rock City sends Owen Hart over the top rope. Bulldog is distracted by Cyrax and Sector. You know what? Fuck it. They look, dude. One dude has dreads hanging out. They just look like Cyrax and Sector. Cyrax wins. Sector wins. Smoke wins. Malina wins. Kintaro wins. Shang Tsung wins. Sub-Zero wins. Striker wins. Cabal wins. Baraka wins. Tanya wins. Liu Kang wins. 
Razor Ramon and the British Bulldog in the ring now. Razor Ramon does his, come on, man, toothpick throw. There is some confusion now because Cibernetico has thrown his t-shirt into the ring. See, Triple A is here to scout uh, WWF competitors because Triple A members are going to be in the Royal Rumble match. Now, since Cibernetico threw his shirt into the ring, he's now topless. And JR uses this information to identify which AAA wrestler is which to the casual fans. He's like, uh, Cibernetico is the one out there now without a shirt on, King. However, Vince McMahon can't let this Jim Ross statement go without ragging him for it. Because as Jim Ross says, uh, Cibernetico is the one without a shirt on, the camera is actually looking at the ring where the Bulldog and Razor Ramon are wrestling. And so Vince says, well, we're looking at two gentlemen with their shirts off right here. Cyrax and Sector eventually head to the back, and the British Bulldog is in control, hammering away on the bad guy, Razor Ramon. But business has picked up even more now because Stoko Steve Austin is in the aisleway. The British Bulldog has Razor Ramon up for a big Ultimate Warrior body press, and then he slams him down for a cover. But since he's covering Razor Ramon, He's at a horizontal base, and this allows the British Bulldog to see that Stone Cold Steve Austin is outside the ring. And so the British Bulldog slides sprints to the outside and unloads fists of tea and crumpets because he's bizarre. Fist fight! Fist fight between Bulldog and Austin! Bulldog and Austin! But the WWF officials take Steve Austin to the backstage area, and the match resumes. Razor Ramon in control now with his patented razor punches. The Bulldog sells for a second, but then tags in my brother Owen. But a big time, the world is yours, clothesline sends the Canadian hero down, courtesy of Razor Ramon. Yep, that's a Scarface reference. Owen Hart gets whipped into the corner, and a piece of the turnbuckle pad breaks. You can, like, hear it like a bolt or something. I just figured I'd mention it for the hell of it. Owen Hart goes up top and hits a drop kick of a missile nature. Then he goes off the ropes, but is low bridged by Big Daddy Cool and flies over the top and rams into the steel post by Diesel. Diesel then tosses Owen Hart inside on the turn on the turnbuckle on the apron to encourage his brother-in-law. The British Bulldog yells, "Come on, Owen!" Razor Ramon beats on Owen, but tags in the big red machine. Jim Ross is all over the junk of the clones on commentary, and then Big Daddy Cool hits his patented sidewalk slam. The King gets on Jim Ross for shouting so much about Razor and Diesel, and JR's like, I'm just excited! I'm excited to be here! Razor Ramon does like a Cobra Twist variant of the SOS, interesting, then locks in a reverse chin lock. The West Palm Beach faithful are cheering for the heels. Heels, of course, recently canceled by stars, and that's a bummer. Diesel in now and hits a big boot, which makes Vince McMahon say, Forget about it! Diesel goes for a big elbow, but misses. Diesel then punches the British Bulldog, so Owen Hart can't make the tag. Razor's back in. But come on, ref! There's some blatant double-teaming by the clones. Diesel's the legal man again, charges to the corner with a fist in the air like, but he misses. Both men are down, and let me tell you, folks, the crowd are just at a fever pitch. Razor's tagged in. Bulldog is tagged in. Bulldog with a clothesline from Leeds, England. A clothesline from Manchester, England. Diesel is in now, and Bulldog does the double noggin knocker. Body slam to Razor Ramon, and then the British Bulldog hits a leg drop. One, two, no. 
British Bulldog goes for the big vertical suplex, but can't hold Razor Ramon. All four men are in the ring now, and it's Bonzo Gonzo. Vince, on commentary, admits that he's come to realize the fans don't care who wins here at all. Owen is whipped into Diesel. Diesel with a military press again. Uh, but British Bulldog drop kicks his own partner in to the chest of Diesel. Owen and Diesel fly over the top. Bulldog and Razor are the legal men. Razor misses a charge in the corner. Bulldog lifts Razor mode into the power slam position. No! Yells JR. Running power slam, but no! Razor slides out and goes for the rating edge, but... Rating edge. Razor's edge. But Owen Hart runs in with his patented Owen Hart spinning heel kick. One, two, three! Hey, ref! He's illegal! Yells JR. Thank God, though, the match is over. And you know what? Is this the first time the Owen Hart spinning heel kick has ever actually won a match? That's impressive. Jim Ross is furious at ringside. Young Johnny C is furious back in 1996 because, believe it or not, I was a fan of the clones. I'm sure you can't imagine that. Stone Cold runs back out to the ring to no reaction from the fans. He attacks Davy Boy Smith by clipping him. Oh, he clipped him. He clipped him. Fans, he clipped him. Which, of course, the clip is the mo- or the chop block is the most devastating move in 1992-1993 WCW I promise the referees come out and get stone cold to the back yet again the tag team title holders are looking worse for wear but nonetheless they're still the champions meanwhile back in the WWF on AOL room the nation of domination are talking to their fans uh the nation of domination proper that being Savio Crush and Farouk are have the other Nation of Domination members, like the lesser ones, typing away on the keyboards, answering questions, including one of the keyboard typing na- members of the Nation of Domination is their accountant, a very young-looking D'Lo Brown. JR then shames Vince by properly using the term In Your House It's Time. He's like, well, fans, you know, if you'd like to join our, uh, our coverage here tonight of uh, In Your House It's Time, well, well, you can do that in cyberspace on AOL. You understand that cyber stuff, JR? Uh, King Will, I'm not exactly, uh, computer literate. Well, you know what, JR? I think you're a speed bump on the information superhighway. Vince McMahon has strangely been silent throughout this entire WWF on AOL segment, and I'm wondering why. Well, we quickly learn why, because he is in the ring. And as I'm wondering why he's in the ring and typing out the note that he's in the ring, I pause the video and I remember exactly why he's in the ring. Because he's here to bring out Ahmed Johnson! Ahmed Johnson does emerge with his fucking fanny pack! Jim Ross proclaims the rafters are shaking. I mean, if they are, it's due to faulty construction. Eh, but that's fine. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, Ahmed Johnson is coming out here to talk about the gladiator of the modern age, Farouk. He does the Brock Lesnar jump up onto the apron thing and almost slips. It'd be pretty funny. So the interview begins, and Vince McMahon prepares Ahmed Johnson for the fact that he's about to make a blockbuster announcement on some January 19th at the Royal Rumble in San Antonio. It will be one-on-one. Farouk versus Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed Johnson says some things on commentary about how Farouk has ruined his life. And now, ladies and gentlemen, 
It's time for a furniture alert. Who remembers furniture alerts? It's this gimmick I had when I first started doing Concrete Man that I threw by the wayside because I didn't think it was funny. But I'm bringing it back for this one-off gag. Because Ahmed Johnson indicates to Vince McMahon and a worldwide pay-per-view audience that he has, quote, because of the injuries from Farouk, lost his girlfriend, he's lost his car, and he's lost his house. Which, of course, is the, the furniture item here. Uh, not to mention, he's lost a fucking kidney or whatever the fuck happened to it. But Ahmad is okay because he has the fans. Now, let's just pause for a second. Ahmed Johnson's a fucking intercontinental champion, okay? And I know that these guys and gals don't get... Well, the paychecks are better now. And I know they're on the road all the time and they've made sacrifices. You know, and if you make $200,000 a year in 1996, for example, uh, but you spend your life on the road and you have to pay for all your, like, you know, there, it's like, sure, you might, it might look like on paper, hey, I've got a pretty healthy salary, uh, but you pay for your own insurance, uh, you know, medical wise, and you pay for your own, like, you know, it looks good on paper is all I'm saying. However, Ahmed Johnson is out here as a character. This is the former Intercontinental Champion. Was he living paycheck to paycheck as the Intercontinental Champion? Was he not getting paid when he was out on medical leave? Or, or perhaps did his girlfriend, car, and house all think that this injury made him look pathetic and all left separately? Like his girlfriend's like, Ahmed, I'm done with you. I'll see you later. Why don't you fucking get a kidney and I'll call you? And then his car's like, Oh, man, you haven't been the same since you lost your kidney. I'm going to go somewhere else. And then the house is like, Well, Ahmed Johnson, I see you're coming into the house to see if you can get some bedtime rest. Perhaps work on that beauty sleep. But you know, Ahmed Johnson, I only want people with normal kidneys to sleep in my house. So I'm leaving and hauling ass to Lollapalooza. I mean, how would he lose all these things unless he's living paycheck to paycheck? Couldn't he call the bank and, you know, or go on FMLA or something? Anywho, Ahmed has the fans and that's all he needs. But bullshit, okay? How'd you get to West Palm Beach? You gotta drive to the airport, right? Are you hitchhiking? Like, now I want a montage of Ahmed Johnson hitchhiking to get to every event. Like hitchhiking to superstars and raw, and the whole time he's walking down the highway with his thumb out, his music is playing. The boom, 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 boom. He like gets in a car, and some trucker like unzips his pants, and we cut to the back of the semi truck, and it's like shaking back and forth, and then we cut to Ahmed driving the semi with the driver unconscious next to him. All while the theme music is playing. A boom, 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 a boom, boom. Anyway, Farouk will feel the pain that Ahmed Johnson has felt, and he's going to feel it throughout his entire face. Uh, Vince wants to know what the status of his kidney is is uh, currently. And Ahmed is like, you know, Vince, forget about my kidney. My life was over a long time ago. All it for is the people. So no update on the kidney situation. And <laughs> poor Ahmed, you know, his fucking fate was sealed the moment he was born, I suppose. He starts to speak a new sentence, but we are the nation of domination. Boom, boom, boom. A boom, 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 nation of domination. Cut the power like the man, but quick like the cat. Two and two together, put the face on the mat. You count the stars, but a riff counts three. 
Hope you like to look and see this, because it's all you go to see. Nation. A domination. Yeah, I know I started with the second verse. The second verse doesn't get enough love, so I went with it. Uh, but the fact that the NOD is here means we're getting oh so very close to one of the worst moments in Federation pay-per-view history. PG-13 does their customary rap. Vince is in the ring, so no one's around to yell, Oh yeah, get funky! Farouk and the nation are in the balcony, like Senator Palpatine at the end of Attack of the Clones. Oh, yes. Senator Organa, look at my clone army. Oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about the clones, Senator Organa. They're just here to keep peace throughout the galaxy. Nothing bad will come of this. What Senator Bail Organa doesn't know is that soon there will be an attack of the clones. Uh... During, um, uh, you know, the nation starts talking and Vince starts whispering to Ahmed Johnson. I would love to know what sort of stage direction he's given him. Uh, Vince is kind of like a dance mom. He doesn't believe that any of the competitors, athletes, or personnel can do anything without his input. Uh, Farouk lets us know that I'd come down there and kick your butt right now if this crowd didn't suck so bad. Ahmed Johnson talks about being the inspiration for his people. Farouk retorts, Ahmed Johnson is the reason his people are behind 50 years. His people, of course, being former intercontinental champions. Uh, Farouk then says he's going to form his own race of people. How do you even do such a thing? He then calls Ahmed Johnson and Uncle Tom. And then he says that in front of the largest crowd in the world at the Royal Rumble, he's going to show everyone in the world that when they say promised land, they say Farouk. Three things. One, not a bad line. I mean, it's not a great line, but it's not a bad line. Like, the verbiage it needs to be reformatted a little bit to be really good. But I like the intent here of a Ron Simmons, too. The largest crowd in front of the world at the Royal Rumble. Oh, Farouk, I beg to differ. Three, when people say promised land, they think about Sephiroth, okay? They don't think about Farouk. Maybe Aerith, but definitely Sephiroth. Perhaps to an even lesser extent, Rufus Shinra. You know, I love Sephiroth, but I'm not a much of a Kenny Omega fan. How many wrestling fans out there don't know that the One-Winged Angel is a reference to Sephiroth? How many people out there don't even know what Sephiroth is? He's got the V-Trigger from, like, Street Fighter 4, I think? Maybe Street Fighter 5? I don't really know. Uh, didn't Kenny Omega come out as Sephiroth one time? All right. Here we go. If you're a wrestling nerd, but not a video game nerd, which is fine. I don't really care. You know, pop culture is for everyone. It doesn't matter. But uh, has Kenny Omega ever come out with, like, a black jacket with silver embellishments on, like, the shoulder area? Maybe a giant, long, skinny sword. Sword not necessary, but with, like, a black wing on the back. If he has, he was cosplaying as Sephiroth. I, knew th I know they came out as a... They, being uh, Kenny Buck, or Kenny Buck, Kenny Omega and the Unbucks, pronouns pal, they came out one time as Ken, Ryu, and Akuma from Street Fighter. So that was kind of fun. But has Kenny Omega ever dressed up as Sephiroth? Anyway, Farouk finishes with, by any means necessary. And, ah, here it is. Ahmed Johnson retorts with the worst chant in wrestling history. If you were in the audience at the West Palm Beach Auditorium in West Palm Beach, Florida, for In Your House, It's Time, and you chanted along with this chant, just end it. And when I say end it, I mean end your fandom of wrestling. What did you think I meant? Because Ahmed gets the crowd to chant, 
course translates to you're going down and we end our promo scene we cut to a video package for the upcoming intercontinental based matchup between hunter hurst helmsley and the wild man mark merrill this video is voiced over by todd pettengale and it has some broke ass enya music it's like you know that sadness i don't know if that's enya or not and i don't really care but uh, the whatever song is played in the background is like the WCW equivalent of sa- that song "Sadness." The way the DDP's music is Nirvana, this is "Sad." The Intercontinental Title gives Hunter Hearst Helmsley what he can't buy: admission into the athletic aristocracy of the World Wrestling Federation. Who writes this shit? Vince in a voiceover is like, "I can't stand individuals that think they're better than others." For wild man Mark Merrow, the Intercontinental title is the cherished symbol of athletic achievement. They flash all the way back to WrestleMania 12, which just reminds me of how many times these guys have fucking fought. Hunter Hearst Helmsley used Kurt Henning. It was a plan all along. He then discarded him when he was no longer needed. They retconned the Mr. Perfect shit, you know. Uh, every time I should mention that someone says Mark Merrow throughout this entire pay-per-view, the closed captioning says Mark Merrill? Like Merrill Lynch? Not Merrill from Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> I love the fucking way Solid Snake says Merrill when they're on the codex screen. Merrill. Anywho, uh, during this video, Todd Pengale calls Hunter Hearst Helmsley Triple H multiple times. Uh, we see Mr. Perfect hit Merrill with the chair, and Vince goes, Why did. No! 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 When uh, Triple H wins the title. Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley quickly dismissed his less-than-perfect servant. Ooh, getting some shots in there, Kurt. Tonight, it's time to find out which superstar will carry the title into the new year. Well, Toddster, it's time. See what I did there? To answer the question because here comes the WWF's one-two punch. Yas! The Wild Man, Mark Marrow, and of course, as always, joined by Sable. Um, Merrill, that's right, I said Merrill, has a flare-esque black and silver robe on tonight. It's pretty cute. Mark Merrill and Sable enter the ring and summon their pyro. I always thought Merrill's pyro was pretty cool. I don't know. Vince mentions that they are aware that there are some satellite transmission problems. Are we going to get an in-your-house? It's time. Two? Perhaps this Tuesday? No, I'm not really sure what this is all about, to be honest with you. I had this show on VHS tape, and I didn't have any satellite problems that I'm aware of. Because I remembered shit like that, you know? Uh, Of course, I had In-Your-House Beware of Dog on tape. What's cool about my In-Your-House Beware of Dog tape is that I had Beware of Dog 2 right after Beware of Dog, but I also had the, like, 40 minutes of dead air where it was like a blue screen of death. I had that on tape. Maybe I should, man, I could bet I could have sold that shit and made a fuck ton of money. Probably not. Uh, I also, I'm also very familiar with World Wrestling Federation satellite transmission issues because famously, and I don't know if this record has been broken, okay? But I know Beware of Dog, I think, is the only pay-per-view that basically went dark live in the middle. But there's an episode of Sunday Night Heat that takes place live 
on the USA Network from the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio, on the road to WrestleMania 15. Uh, that's the radio episode. Satellite transmissions, atmospheric, atmospheric conditions. This is Kevin Kelly along with Terry Taylor. Uh, Terry, what's going on in the ring? Well, China's entered the ring, and she's kind of wearing like a black sports bra, and she's got a face and boots, and it looks like she's got a microphone. Now, the microphone says WWF on it with the new Scratch logo. That's right, Terry. New logos all over adorning this arena where there's fans wearing clothes here on the WWF Radio Network Sunday Night Heat Edition. Watch it. It's worth your time because you can see it now. I was there. That's the one I'm trying to get. I was at that Sunday Night Heat, and I was pissed when I got home, and the tape was just atmospheric conditions. But you can watch it on the WWE Network now, clear as day. But Kevin Kelly and Terry Taylor call the show like you can't see it. I've talked about it before. Uh, Who'd like to go to the 1997 Royal Rumble? Well, just call 210-224-9600. Don't tell them I gave out their phone number. Tickets are probably still available to this very day for the 1997 Royal Rumble. Here comes Hunter Hearst Helmsley with his Ode to Joy theme. Hey, they say free for all in the song. Fitting, because apparently Hunter Hearst Helmsley made some unwanted advances towards Marlena on the free for all. Look at this, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. What a pompous entrance. Eh, aren't you guys neighbors there in Greenwich, Vince? Uh, the King invites us to watch Monday Night Raw tomorrow so we can watch him battle Sable. Vince chuckles, but then remembers children and sponsors are listening. Yes, we're talking about Karate Fighter Championships. That's all we're talking about, just to verify things. The bell rings and the Intercontinental Championship match has begun. We get a lockup. Here we go. Two tremendous athletes locking it up here for Intercontinental Championship tonight in your house. It's time! They do some counter mat stuff. Vince admits that these two athletes know each other very well. A.K.A. they're basically the entire upper mid-card. Triple H gets tossed into the ropes and the wild man, Mark Marrow, uses the jumpy knee. You can't do that to Triple H, man. That's like leg-dropping Hogan. Shoulder block by Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Marrow falls, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley trips over Marrow's legs and falls onto Mark Marrow. It's quite humorous. The wild man is up. Triple H bounces off the ropes. The two athletes fuck up a hip toss that would have seen Hunter Hearst Helmsley fly over the top rope. So they redo the spot in the opposite direction, and they're too far away from the ropes. So Wildman Mark Merrill clotheslines Triple H over the top to make up for that distance. Just some real sloppy shit. Wildman goes for a dive, but Triple H escapes, so he hits a jumping Axie Boomba off of the apron, tosses Hunter inside, but Hunter hits a little gut kick. And now he's working over the Wildman Mark Merrow in the corner, throwing some one-two punches. But the Wildman Mark Merrow fights back only to eat the top turnbuckle because Triple H makes him drop onto it when Wildman Mark Merrow is doing the 10 corner punches. A pedigree is coming up, but oh no! He is trying to deliver the maneuver too close to the ropes, which means he's backdropped by the Wildman Mark Merrow over the top rope. Merrow pursues, but Triple H uses Sable as a human shield, then tosses Sable into Merrow to take control of the match, throws Merrow into the solid steel steps. Jim Ross tries to make a joke that Triple H was court-martialed at his boarding school. Oh, wait, I mean military school. It wasn't funny, JR, anyway. Triple H grabs a chair, 
Now, referee Earl Hebner yanks the chair away from Triple H. I hate that. You can't just eliminate someone's win condition. It's not right. Referees are to count. Nothing else. Like, seriously, like, imagine if during, I don't know, some important football game, uh, you know, the fucking Philadelphia Eagles lined up for a field goal, uh, lined up against the Los Angeles Rams. See, I'm just picking random teams. I have no bias here. Uh, and right before the Philadelphia Eagles kicker, Tony Danza, goes to kick the field goal, the referee blows the whistle. Oh, wait, no, it's not Tony Danza. It's Mark Wahlberg, isn't it? And Mark Wahlberg's all like, bro, I'm trying to kick three points for the Philadelphia Eagles, bro. And the referee's like, I've decided field goals are not legal in this contest. Well, that's a win condition. You can't just do that. That's what this referee's doing. Vince lets us know that we're still experiencing transmission difficulties, but we're back in the ring, and a backbreaker is excellently executed by the Hunter Man. Uh, Tilt-a-World backbreaker now delivered by Triple H. Shades of WrestleFest Crush. One, two, no. Cobra Twist locked in now. Jim Ross brings up some unique rumors that Triple H and Kathy Lee Gifford are fucking on the side. Jerry the King Lawler accidentally calls Sable Marlena. Well, maybe it's you, King, who has Marlena on the mind, or perhaps thinking of Kathy Lee Gifford. I just never thought I'd hear Vince say Kathy Lee Gifford, so I wrote it down. Triple H uses the ropes to cheat. Earl Hebner kicks his arm and pushes him over. Now what the fuck, guys? So let's say that e- that awful referee for the Philadelphia Eagles game decides in the fourth quarter, you know what, field goals are now legal. And Mark Wahlberg's like, all right, bro, I'm going to kick the game-winning field goal for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they snap the ball. The ball is held. Wahlberg starts to run, and the referee just clips Mark Wahlberg from, the hop, from behind. That's what this referee is doing. Triple H goes up top, but he eats a Mark Merrow foot. Mark Merrow hits a babyface comeback. A flying clothesline from the jungle. High knee lift, head scissors. One, two, no. He sets up Hunter Hearst Helmsley for a top rope Rana. Wow. Uh, afterwards, Mark Merrow does the bat dance taunt where he like does waves his hands over his eyes. It looks like Adam West doing the fucking bat dance. He's calling for the wild thing, and I swear to God, Vince yells, All right, here we go. It's time. Now imagine this. Okay, imagine this match took place at a different pay-per-view, and Marrow does the same thing, climbs to the top rope, and Vince McMahon yells the name of that pay-per-view. All right, here we go. Good friends, better enemies. All right, here we go. Beware of dog. You get the picture. I'm going to keep going. All right, here we go. Being alive. All right, here we go. Mind games. All right, here we go. International incident. Triple H shoves Earl Hebner into the ropes, which makes Mark Merrow hit his own cock on the top turd buckle. Fair. Uh, double down now, shades of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Triple H lifts up an arm to make the cover. One, two, no. Unbelievable. Rodman, Mark Merrow, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley giving it their all, just as we've seen every other WWF superstar do here tonight in your house. It's time. Pedigree coming up. No. Merrow counters and slingshots Triple H into the turnbuckle, but oh no, he overshoots it and perfect hit the post. Another KFC double down. Merrow covers. One, two, no. Merrow goes up top. Triple H stands up. Nice looking Merrow salt. One, two, no. The crowd actually bit on that one. They haven't been very engaged. The wild man, Mark Merrow, throws another big clothesline from the jungle, but Triple H ducks and oh no, this clothesline from the jungle hits referee Earl Hebner. Well, he had it coming. 
But the referee is down a neckbreaker by Triple H. Triple H then goes outside to get the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther grabs it and says, It's mine now, bitch! And runs away. Wait, no. He actually goes in the ring and nails Marrow with it. But no, Marrow ducks. Marrow fights back and hits a big right hand. And then Triple H turns around and Marrow does the Austin Lip Killer flip pin. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The referee is up. Eight, nine, no. Triple H gets uh, tossed into the corner and flips like flair. Wildman Mark Marrow does a somersault plancha and fucks up his knee on the landing, ladies and gentlemen. Well, there goes 1997, Mark. Goldust is here. He has the Intercontinental title. He swings and misses Triple H, but hits Marrow in a very pathetic way, I might add. Now he hits Hunter and leaves. The referee's counting. Marrow is up at nine, slides into the ring, and guess what? Mark Marrow pulls the old Lex Luger and wins via countout. Post-match, Marrow tosses Hunter inside and again signals for the wild thing. He's upset! Mark Marrow does the wild thing. Crazy to think that Rena Marrow has been married, or Rena, Rena Lesnar, I guess, has been married to two different men that can shooting star press into bed. Can they land so their erect penis lands perfectly in the properly lubricated vagina of Arena, whatever her last name was at the time? Actually, I would pay to see that. And I don't, you know, that's cool. Very comfortable with myself. I got to see Brock hanging, Marrow hanging. It, it would be worth it. Just, I mean, the athleticism involved, this precision. I mean, if a human can do that, uh, share it with the world. Get paid for it. I mean, people have made money for being so less talented on this planet, okay? Just do it. Marrow grabs the belt, acts like he's important. JR warns us, oh, fans, this one's far from over, folks. Can it please just be over? Can these two guys never wrestle again? <sighs> Triple H continues to lay in the ring like a slug. It's his only defense. Vince becomes increasingly angry. And it multiple times mentions that the Fink, Howard Finkel, should at any moment announce to the capacity crowd that Hunter Hearst Helmsley is still indeed the Intercontinental Champion. Then the world falls apart. As the Fink finally starts to make the announcement. His microphone is turned off, so the house misses most of it. We're in the middle of an In Your House It's Time replay of The Wild Thing. And Goldust appears and attacks Triple H in the aisle while we're still in the replay. Poor Vince. He, he gonna lose it. Goldust attacked Helmsley again. He knocked him down. He's stomping him. JR's intensity is unwarranted because Goldust stomps Triple H once. And then just casually leaves. My God, the anger and the passion of this man. Let's go in the back to Doc Hendricks, who's with the reigning defending World Wrestling Federation champion. Before we do, though, we cut to some footage of the outside of the arena where a concrete slope leads to a beautiful water fountain. Hmm. Foreshadowing, perhaps? Sid in the back with Doc Hendricks. Shades of the WCW Uncensored 2000 pay-per-view as Sid is wearing a tiny white backwards baseball cap with most of his mulleted perm visible. He opens Uncensored 2000 the exact same way, talking to a Hulk Hogan. Watch it! I promise. 
Doc Hendricks wants to look at some footage that happened earlier today on Sunday Morning Superstars, where in this footage, Sid was outside of the arena being interviewed near the slope and water and water fixture we were just looking at. And the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, leaped out of a blue laundry cart to surprise the sister, and fisticuffs broke out. Uh, Bret Hart arrives when the officials try to break up this fight, and for a moment, both the hitman and Sid are united in their quest to beat on Shawn Michaels. Uh, if you're wondering, in the closed captioning, Bret Hart is listed with two T's, according to the closed caption, so Bret... Once the Heartbreak Kid is taken care of and pushed away by the officials, Sid attacks Bret the Hitman Hart from behind. The footage is now over, and Sid explains his actions. Just like that, Doc! See if you haven't learned by now! Don't turn your back on me, because I will do something horrible will happen. Sid, don't put your nose in my business! And if you can't believe that, ask Jose! Doc reminds Sid that tonight he can silence the critics by defeating Brett the Hitman Hart. Let me do something that even you, in a bad hairdo, that even you can understand. This will play Connect the Dots. Figure this out, Brett! Sean can beat you! Sean beat you, and I beat Sean like a dog. So how easy will it be for me? That's why I'm the master and the ruler of the world. I mean, that's verbatim. He whispers that much there at the end. Well, uh, hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen, because here comes the Armageddon Rules match. Which means only one thing as we return to the arena, ladies and gentlemen. It is time. You see what I did there? It's time for what I, for years, have called the, quote, In Your House matchup. Oh, yes. This Armageddon Rules attraction has had a special place in my heart since I was a youngster. And allow me to explain. You see, when I was a youngster, a youth if you will, I enjoyed my wrestling action figures. I may have enjoyed my wrestling action figures longer than most. Because I was probably around 12 or 13 at the time that this pay-per-view happened. And let me say this. And I'm not saying this to defend myself. I'm just saying this to paint a picture, okay? I got no problem that I played with the figures uh, this long looking back on myself because, you know, I had a very good childhood. I had friends, social engagements, etc., etc. However, I really appreciated the creativity that was given to me with this sort of thing. I mean, you look at what you have out there now. There's so many ways to express your creativity. And I'm not saying that there weren't outlets back in the day, but there were not as many easily accessible outlets that there are now. So I enjoyed being creative with my wrestling toys. Leave me alone! But I had a younger sister, and my younger sister had an amazingly large uh, Mojo Dojo Casa house where she played with her Ken dolls, okay? So what old Johnny C did, and this was a big house, all right? It was big. It had like a front door, a porch, fucking garage, everything. Like this is a big house. So what old Johnny C did was uh, he he took he went into Dad's computer, and he printed himself a very large in color in your house logo. Uh, after I became ungrounded for using all the ink in the printer, I took this large in your house logo, cut it up, or cut it into a large square, 
and adhered it to the Barbie dream house. Then I put my little toy wrestling ring in front of the Barbie dream house and had many of an in-your-house extravaganzas with my wrestling toys. Oftentimes during these extravaganzas, the matches would sprawl to the outside of the ring and the war would eventually be waged in the house. And I always thought to myself, why don't they fight in the house during in-your-house pay-per-views? I mean, how cool would it be if they actually had a house match? And now, ladies and gentlemen, they sort of will. Paul Bear leads the Executioner down to the ring with some generic evil music. The Executioner has some trouble entering the ring while carrying his large axe. And rather than watch the man struggle, we cut to a hype video of the events that led to this encounter. In the hype video, Todd Pentengale tells us that forevermore, the man from the dark side will walk alone. He walks for miles inside the pit of danger, a place where no one follows me. I walk alone. Na 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 na. We see the birth of the executioner with an awesome 80s action movie style unnecessary replay of the executioner breaking the shovel over the head of the Undertaker at Buried Alive. But even in death, there can be life as the Undertaker returned with the metamorphosis of body and soul. And then apparently he said to himself in a dark room, Yes, Father, I shall become a bat. Because he became a bat at the Survivor Series. Now equipped with a tight, sexy black leather accoutrement with a single teardrop tattoo. How could the Undertaker defeat the Executioner? Especially after what the Executioner did to the Puerto Rican team. At the Clash of the Beach, 19. Or at the Clash of the Beach, the Clash of the Champions, 19. I fucked up my own gag. But yes, it is Terry Bam Bam Gordy here portraying the executioner who was one half of the Miracle Violence Connection, who was one half of the team that assaulted the Puerto Rican team, according to Bill Watts. Uh, you know, you see, the Puerto Rican team's been assaulted. And, you know, the NWA president's probably going to have to resign because of all this. But what we're going to do here in Clash of Champions, we're going to take the, the Dr. Death and Bam Bam Gordy and the Steiner Brothers, and they're going to hook them up. We're going to start round two. We're going to start round two of the NWA Tag Team Title Tournament to Clash of Champions because of what happened to the Puerto Rican team. It's Cowboy Bill Watts, goddammit. We get a rules graphic that will explain the rules of this Armageddon matchup. Rule number one, no disqualification. Rule number two, there's no countout. Rule number three, clearly written by Vince McMahon, after a pinfall or submission, the defeated wrestler... The defeated wrestler has a ten count to resume the match. When one man cannot continue, the match is over. Well, it could be over for The Undertaker. Bong! Here he comes! Bong! The Undertaker makes the walk in his new sexy black coat. Well, it's new for us at debuted Survivor Series. The Undertaker mounts the steps and summons the lights. The Executioner is clearly shaken in his boots at the awesome power of the Phenom. And look at the eyes of the Executioner. That vacant look, ladies and gentlemen. It, Vince is right. It's a very vacant look. Like, I don't know that the Executioner knows what day it is where he is, or how he got there. Nonetheless, the Executioner attacks, the bell rings, and here we go. The Undertaker gets Executioner into the corner and feeds him some delicious soup bones. Follows up with a clothesline from the dark side and a big back body drop. 
Executioner is whipped into the corner. No, it's reversed. But oh my, a big boot from the man from the dark side. The Undertaker whips the Executioner into the other corner. Hits another big boot. I think now that the Undertaker's in charge of this matchup, which makes me sad. Uh, have you ever had a friend turn his back on you, McMahon? Yes. Yes, it's heartbreaking. Ross, have you ever even had a friend? All right, stop that. We don't need any of that right now. The Executioner's quarter whipped again. The Undertaker then watches to see if the Executioner will do anything after being corner whipped. The Executioner does nothing, so the Undertaker pursues. He whips the Executioner into the opposite turnbuckle again. And my God, the Executioner does a flare flip and traps himself inside the unrelenting and cruel tree of woe. My God, the athleticism on display from the Executioner. The Undertaker heads up and hits kick, kick, kick to the exposed tree of woe head. The Executioner hilariously gets himself out of the tree of woe in one piece. The match is so exciting that Vince McMahon reminds us of the rules of the Armageddon match, and I believe this is the third time since the graphic. We get some more Undertaker offense. Punch! 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 Slowly walking to the opposite corner and ramming the Executioner's head into it. The Undertaker then walks around for a bit. He looks at Paul Bear and then charges for a big Undertaker splash, but misses, and the Executioner is in control. Seconds later, though, a little gut kick delivered by The Undertaker and a big scoop slam. The Undertaker then misses a big wind-up elbow drop, and The Executioner stands and stalks his prey. Shades off the stalker, Barry Windham. A big clothesline from France sends The Undertaker over the top rope. The Undertaker lands on his feet. My God, he is a phenom. The Undertaker pulls out The Executioner. Oh my! The Executioner and Mankind now on the floor! Uh, I think he meant the Executioner and Undertaker, but that's fine. Paul Bear strikes the Undertaker with the urn. It has little to no effect, so Paul Bear flees for his life. The Executioner attacks and softly rams the Undertaker's head into the Spanish announce table. And the Undertaker would like to get his hands on Paul Bear. Nothing doing. Not yet. It may happen tonight. It's time! It's time for The Undertaker to get even with Paul Bearer! Poetry, ladies and gentlemen. Longfellow couldn't have said it better. We get a rest in peace chant, which allows The Undertaker to hit a short clothesline, get back in, getting back in control. The Executioner is down, so The Undertaker lifts the protective mats at ringside shades of WrestleMania 3. The Undertaker lifts The Executioner into the tombstone position! This is gonna hurt! Here we go on the concrete! Suddenly, in the background, Mankind is scurrying towards the action. He's inches away from the two men. Suddenly, Mankind trips over the raised blue protective mats and splats. I repeat, splats on the cold, hard concrete like a complete buffoon. I say that lovingly. I got nothing but love for Mankind, but this, this is not his greatest moment. Mankind rolls over onto his back touches the leg of the Undertaker, which is enough to make the dead man softly place the Executioner down, as much in relief as it is imperative to the match narrative. Hey, that rhymed! But what I mean to say is, Executioner's fucking heavy and he's not helping, so I'm sure Undertaker was glad to put him down. Mankind unleashes with, What's that? 
Washi! Washi! Punches. In the ring now, in the villain's double team, The Undertaker, by hitting a big double clothesline from parts unknown. But no! The Undertaker sits up, and once again, soup bones are on the menu. Mankind is punched to the outside. The Executioner throws himself outside of the middle ropes as well. Repeat, the Executioner throws himself to the outside. And it's not as if he crawled out through the middle ropes because when he gets on the ring, or when he gets on the floor, he's selling like, oh, I just got thrown out of the ropes. Soup bones once again served as we travel up the aisle, heading towards the house. The executioner takes a walk. Undertaker pursues. Mankind attacks from behind. But the undertaker grabs mankind by the hair, sprints towards the in-your-house house, and tosses mankind through the window! My God. They're tearing down the house! Yells Jim Ross. There's silence on commentary, but then suddenly, what? Where are they? Because the two combatants are now brawling behind the house base set, and my God, mankind is tossed through the front door from the inside of the house. Oh, no. They didn't even bother knocking. The executioner attacks, and we can see the undertaker and the executioner fighting through the remnants of the in-your-house house window. The executioner now takes a break, leading against the house, but the undertaker charges, and the house begins to collapse. They're tearing down the house! Y- y- you already said that, though, Jim. No! The whole house? Be be careful! I definitely think Vince is more concerned for the house than the athletes, but that's fine. The house doesn't collapse, though, and I wonder if they wanted it to. Like if this was, you know, a spot plan, but the house just teeters and, and doesn't fall, unfortunately. The executioner is being brought back towards the ring, but mankind attacks. The undertaker's rammed into the steps, and now we're back in the ring. I will say this. After the uh, unlawful entry into the In Your House house, the crowd is, is a little bit more awake, so it worked. Regardless of, you know, the house-based jokes that I made, it worked. The Undertaker fights back. The Executioner, though, scratches the eyes. And wait a minute, what's this? What's this? It appears we have a number of individuals inside the ring. According to Vince, there are indeed a number of individuals inside the ring. They're all wearing blue shirts that say, Security. And they're surrounding mankind. Wait, that's Mace! I can smell it! My God, it's 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 irritating my eyes, says JR, very convincingly. And they haven't even sprayed the mace yet! The security force gets mankind in the corner, and now they finally spray mace. While the Undertaker and Executioner flee to the backstage area. Undertaker and Executioner heading to what's left of our house! The Undertaker and Executioner disappear through the front door. Now we're in the causeway of the arena, and we see some fans are excited to notice that the wars of sports-based entertainment are now occurring before their very eyes. The Undertaker and Executioner head up a set of very well-lit steps. The Executioner, upon getting to the top of the steps, casually strolls to the outside of the arena. Undertaker pursues. Now a sea of fans follow these two men. I'm concerned, though, as they pass through the entry doors. Will they be allowed to gain... Re-entry. Suddenly, one kidster seems to have this very thought as he rushes towards the doors to exit and watch the war of sports-based entertainment on the outside, but he pivots backwards. Perhaps wondering, 
what his legal guardian would do if the youngster is unable to find a way back inside to in your house? It's time. Will there be a grounding, perhaps? Maybe a stern whooping, or perhaps Dad will say, Youngster, no more Sega. Meanwhile, in the ring, mankind is now in a straitjacket. Shades of Michael Scott. So are Rita security forces around the country fully stocked with these apparatus? Hmm? I mean, I'd just like to know. Mankind squeals and decides to run around the ring. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon, uh, no longer interim, but full-time World Wrestling Federation president is here to observe. Suddenly! And I mean suddenly. Shades of the Three Stooges, we see the Executioner rolling down the earlier mentioned slope of concrete and landing face first in the fountain. Oh, going down into the water. That's outside. Fans continue to observe the battle of this water-based embankment on the outside and the Undertaker slugs away on the now moistened executioner. They're in the fountain. They're in the moat. Meanwhile, in the arena, Mankind's straight jacket straps are tightened by a man that somewhat resembles beautiful Bobby Eaton. And now, tightening the straight jacket, weighing 228 pounds, he is from the dark side. Beautiful Bobby! The Undertaker heads back into the arena with the referee, but no executioner. He wa- they all walk through the front door. The Undertaker strikes the jacketed mankind, and he's now choking him with his foot in the aisle. It's Armageddon rules, we're reminded. The executioner is here. He's slightly jogging, so good for him. Both men in the ring, mankind and Paul Bear, appear to be gone. The Undertaker unleashes kick, 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 and a big clothesline from Death Valley. Undertaker calls for the tombstone. He sets up the tombstone. A large amount of water comically drips out of the boots of the executioner as he's now suspended upside down. Tombstone is hit. One, two, three. Now it's time for the ten count. Ladies and gentlemen, the executioner does not answer the ten count. So, the gimmick, you know, not really necessary. I mean, it's not like they had multiple falls and there were multiple ten counts. It's just... I whatever, I don't care. Uh, it's history, says Vince McMahon. I'm wondering if he's referring to the match or the executioner, as this sadly is, I believe, the last appearance of the executioner. The Undertaker is victorious, winning the Armageddon rules in your house match. The executioner has been executed. Maybe not excellently executed, but effectively and physically executed with a tombstone pile driver. Wow, JR with some poetry of his own. The Undertaker heads towards the back as Paul Bear peeks through the remnants of the house door. However, standing by right now is Doc Hendricks with the Hitman, Bret Hart. As we say goodbye to the Armageddon rules in your house match. Pity. We couldn't see more house-based action, or maybe even torn down the house together to get a new set, but alas, I'll, uh, I'll take what I can get. The match, by the way, was awful, but I do feel I give it the strongest of recommendations as you gotta see it for yourself. Between mankind slipping, the house-based violence, um, the executioner rolling down the slope of concrete barely, like we barely see it, like... And the and the dripping water and beautiful Bobby and just 
Just the executioner being completely out on his feet before the, the bell even rings. You gotta see this one for yourself, folks. It is truly Armageddon. We're in the back with Brett and Doc now, and Vince is like, Doc, Doc, can you hear us? I sure can, Vinnie Mac. Things are getting crazy in West Palm Beach, but Bret Hart, now it's time. Hey, hey, Doc. No one said you could do that using the pay-per-view subtitle. The interview continues as Doc calls out Bret Hart for looseness cool early on Sunday morning. Superstars, we get another replay of the footage? Were we supposed to get the earlier replay? Bret thinks that Shawn Michaels may have been trying to injure Sid. That way, Bret wouldn't be able to wrestle him tonight. Bret is now going to only worry about himself. But then he says, all I think about is Shawn Michaels. But, you know, he doesn't matter anymore. Chunka, chunka. Oh, oh, Shawn! Oh, Bret. I think the Heartbreak Kid music disagrees with you. As the Heartbreak Kid's music does indeed cut off Bret the Hitman Hart. And Doc's are like, well, we better get out of ringside because here comes Shawn Michaels. Uh, but Brett keeps yelling. He's furious. He's all like, oh, oh, I'm so mad about Shawn Michaels. Uh, it's pretty funny. And why I think it's funny is that I don't think Bret Hart the character is angry, but I think Bret Hart the person is angry. He does yell, it's, it's, his, it's my time. It's my time. No, Bret, it's, it's just time. Like, generally, like, it's time. That's how it's done. In the arena now, here comes the Heartbreak Kid doing his best Sting impression. Well, kind of. Sean's dressed in all black, wearing sunglasses indoors. Doc warns Vince and company to be careful out there. Vince ignores this completely and launches a verbal blowjob to the Heartbreak Kid. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, former WWF champion in his own right. Yeah! For over eight months, this man electrified capacity crowds all over the world like no one has ever has ever worn the World Wrestling Federation title. He is charismatic, he is flamboyant, and indeed does not want to be a role model. No doubt about that, but some people think his honesty is to be applauded. JR advises the king to mind his manners as the Heartbreak Kid takes a seat at the announce table. The Heartbreak Kid immediately lets us know what's up by putting on the headset and saying... Yowza, yowza, yowza! Alright! Vince warns Heartbreak that it's loud out here at ringside and it may get even louder as the Hitman makes his entrance. But Heartbreak reminds us that it's louder during his own entrance. And Vince McMahon agrees. It is time for the Hitman to once again... I'm sorry, I fucked that up. It's a question, not a statement. Is it indeed time for the Hitman to once again be the World Wrestling Federation Champion? Brett's music hits. All right, here he comes. It should be noted that the in-your-house set, the area with the window, has now completely collapsed. Despite the best earlier efforts of the Executioner and the Undertaker. How the fuck did that happen, huh? Brett gets his entranceway pyro he enters the ring and poses as he always does uh he takes a little bit uh extra time looking towards sean michaels area of the ring and sean's all like oh yeah hail brett hail the hitman yeah 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 brett yells at sean all right that's great tell your story walking punk you know 
I do my best to be obnoxious, but even I can't hang with the hitman anymore, Jack. Oh, Sean, you pill-popping, lovable scamp, you! Sean continues to supply evidence to my pill-based thesis as he adds, But you know something? You know, you know something, guys? See, right there. That, that's what people do when they're under the influence, right? They, they get your attention to let you know they need your attention. Hey, you know something, guys? Hey, listen to this. People should understand, uh, you know, up-and-comers passing past guys that maybe are out of their prime. Here comes the master and the ruler of the world. You want to talk about someone whose time it may be now. Here he comes! Yas! Sid does make his entrance and he offers tiny fist power bombs to the West Palm Beach faithful as he enters. And it might be, yes, that Sid rules. The Heartbreak Kid offers a counter-argument. You know, since the World Wrestling Federation's most expensive piece of luggage. What? Adds the king. He's the WWF's most expensive piece of luggage. Because we've got guys like me and other WWF superstars carrying him here and carrying him there. Without us, Sid is a zero, my hero. Pause. Many things. Many things to make note of here. Number one. Someone needs to tell Heartbreak that when the king said, What? He, he wasn't so much asking for clarification. It was an expression of shock. Number two. The comments about uh, having to carry Sid are completely edited out of the closed captioning. Mm, stroking the chin there is some sort, of, some sort of conspiracy here. Number three. Poor Sean. He couldn't even get the vanilla ice slash Hercules quote right. Zero, my hero? No. No, 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 no. That, that's not what it is. If you're Hercules, it's zero to hero. If you're singing the song, and of course, Vanilla Ice is famous. Yo, cat, drop that zero and get with the hero. Sid salutes the Fjord and ignites his letter-based pyrotechnics. He did. I'm just repeating it. Vince brings up what happened to Jose. The Heartbreak Kid weeps for the 62-year-old manager of champions. King says that perhaps Shawn Michaels shouldn't have been carrying around a piece of luggage named Jose Lazario. I mean, that's what the closed caption said. Jose Lazario. Shawn, however, defends his charity to the elderly, even though he knows it's not cool. I know Psycho Sid fans don't think it's cool to respect the elderly, Jack, but I do. Sid turns his back on the hitman, Brett strikes, and the bell rings! Heartbreak Kid is all over Brett for that one. Brett and Sid continue to wrestle as the Heartbreak Kid takes over on commentary. Sid unleashes a kind of almost Seth Rollins curb stomp to Brett Hart and is now in control. Brett Hart, though, gets aggressive and rakes Sid's face against the top rope. Heartbreak Kid starts trying to put together a thought that Brett can get down and dirty with the best of them there in the ring. Unfortunately, Sean uses about 126 words when seven would suffice. Sean Michaels continues to champion individuality amongst World Wrestling Federation stars and asks that they please stop acting vanilla like Brett the Hitman Hart. Well, Sean tried to act like Vanilla Ice earlier. 
Oh, well. God forbid you smile once in a while or have an emotion here and there. It's called real life, folks. Get to know it. All right, words of uh, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yeah, that's real. I didn't add it. Sid unleashes Sid punches across the head of the hitman, and both men spill to the outside. Bret Hart flees from Sid like a bitch, but Sid will not allow escape. The Heartbreak Kid clarifies that he doesn't think Bret Hart is past his physical prime, just his mental prime. Will someone get him a 20-ounce bottle of Prime? Yes, Prime! It'll hydrate you, keep you intelligent! Brett, however, inside the ring is back in control, but he's standing too close to the ropes and eats a back body drop and tossed over the top rope. Sid slams Bret Hart into the security railing and moves around the blue mats. Shades of the Armageddon match from just a few seconds ago! The Heartbreak Kid starts talking about how title matches are like being under the boards in the NBA playoffs. You just gotta let them play, Jack. Jim Ross hastily and immediately affirms Shawn Michaels' NBA-based statement. I swear, if he was talking about the NFL, we probably would have heard JR pop the fucking headphone cans right off and picked up some sloppery wet mouth noises coming from Shawn's mic while Jim Ross disappears from our visual range. Yes, the joke is implying that Jim Ross would be sucking Shawn Michaels' cock. Deal with that. Jim Ross then warns that if Sid hits the powerbomb on the floor, this match is going to be over. However, according to the closed captions, Jim Ross is actually warning us that if Sid suddenly hits the powerball, this match is going to be immediately over. And you know what? It's a rarity, folks, with a closed caption botch, but I happen to agree with both scenarios. Like, if Sid powerbombs the hitman on the concrete, the match should probably be over, given the in-story, in-universe power of the powerbomb. But if I like to imagine that if Sid suddenly received word for the back, like if Joe Briscoe ran out and was like, Hey, Sid, you just won the powerball. I believe that Sid would just sprint to the back and leave, never to be seen in professional wrestling again, and therefore the match would indeed end. Can you imagine what Sid would buy with Powerball, buddy? Brett counters the Powerball, though, and rams Sid into the post. The Heartbreak Kid takes about 45 seconds of TV time to explain why sometimes little guys fight big guys in the World Wrestling Federation. He takes so long to make his point that afterwards Vince resets with, All right, Brett Hart and Sid, here we are now. We get a split screen, ladies and gentlemen. Wrestling on one side and the Heartbreak Kid on the other, just letting us know what's important here. Brett works over the limbs of Sid and is clearly in control. He appears to be excellently executing the Sidster, albeit in a very boring way. Now on commentary, we're arguing about the Sharpshooter. The Heartbreak Kid thinks Sid is too stupid to give up in the Sharpshooter. Jim Ross thinks that Sid will give up. Sean reminds us, <laughs> I didn't give up, Jack. Shawn Michaels then later in the match says, In your head? I thought he was going to say, In your house? And I'm disappointed. Hey, here's some more heel chicanery as Bret Hart removes the top turnbuckle pad. Shawn Michaels indicates that this means that Bret is desperate. Sid puts on the brakes, though, and doesn't get rammed face first into the steel, but Bret assaults the kidneys. Shades of the gladiator of the modern age, Farouk. And then a nice side suplex by the hitman. Bret covers one, two, and no. Sean starts throwing shade at Brett because he never hooks the leg. Hey, he didn't hook the leg. He never does. 
We get a Sid chant for the West Palm Beach faithful as Brett delivers a snap suit play to the Sidster. Brett then hits his patented middle rope elbow drop. One, two, no. Sean again points out that Brett did not hook the leg. Sid tosses Brett off the top rope. That's going to leave a mark. Sean, that's not funny there. And you know what, folks? I don't know if that's going to leave a mark is funny anywhere. So can we stop? Open hand Sid Punch Sid Punch is delivered by Sid. Sid hits a big boot and a leg drop. Oh, sorry, fans. That's the wrong show. There is no leg drop. Sean blames Bret Hart for wearing himself down at this point in the match, and that's why Sid's getting one over on him. Sid hits a big power slam. One, two, no. Heartbreak Kid lets us know that even though the pinfall attempt wasn't successful, Sid did indeed hook the leg. Hilariously, now with the patch... Moments later, Sid does indeed go for a leg drop. He misses. JR throws shade. I never did like that maneuver. Brett now goes for the sharpshooter, but no! He's tossed outside by the leg strength of Psycho Sid. Sid goes to where Brett is, uh, you know, because Brett's outside and Sid's still in the ring. Sid leans over the ropes and grabs Brett by the hair. Earl Hebner gets in the way and starts pushing Sid away. What does he think this is? The Intercontinental Championship match getting involved again? The Heartbreak Kid is now on commentary, throwing shade at Vader, indicating that Vader is not as strong as Sid. But, oh my god! Out of nowhere, Stone Cold Steve Austin sprints into the frame behind Bret Hart, and he throws another chop block to a much larger reaction than earlier. Seriously, fans, this clip or chop block, if this was 1992 WCW, Bret Hart would be out of action for a year after this one. Austin gets at Bret's face and starts yelling, Oh, what the hell, son? But suddenly... Bulldog and Owen Hart are here to save Bret Hart. Wow. Vince is convinced that this is now going to be a count-out situation, but Bret gets back into the ring and is visibly limping, and in an amazing moment, Sid watches Bret Hart struggle to walk, like he's holding the top rope to walk and he's limping, and Sid looks and he says to the camera, he's limping, and then Sid looks to the aisle, and then at Bret, and then to the aisle, and then to the fans, he's desperately trying to connect the dots. Why is this man now limping? HBK is all like, Sid, you gotta go out to the knee, Jack. Don't just look at it, eat it. Okay, he didn't say that specifically. But Sid does stomp away like there's no tomorrow. Sid then lifts Bret Hart into the snake eyes position. He's going to drop him onto the exposed steel turnbuckle. Bret slides out and is standing behind Sid. Bret rams Sid forward. Sid says, fuck this. And Sid face plants to the ground, avoiding getting tossed into the steel. Is this a botch? Or or some sort of genius psychology by Sid? I don't know. A hilarious moment as Bret Hart trips over the fallen champion and looks like a goof. Sid stands up to a vertical base. Bret Hart up to a vertical base. Sid lifts Bret Hart into the snake eyes position again. Uh, Bret Hart slides out of the snake eyes position. Again. Bret goes to push Sid. Again. However, in a variant, Sid drops down to the map before Bret Hart makes contact to push Sid. And the rules of momentum state that Bret Hart must continue forward and collide face first with the exposed steel. Uh, so, botch was the answer from earlier. Jim Ross promotes that Bret Hart may indeed need a dentist. Well, Diesel is in the building, folks. Sid's up! Goozle! Chokeslam! One! Two! No. And Sid even hooked the leg yet again. 
Brett is up against the ropes near the announce table. Sid charges, but Brett ducks. Sid slams on the brakes, but Brett counters with a cactus clothesline from Calgary, and both men fly over the top rope and land in front of the heartbreak kid. Brett goes over to the announce table and grabs Shawn Michaels' chair. Shawn says, here, take it. It's your match, pal. There he is, folks. There's your role model. Grabbing a chair. Sid, however, attacks from behind. Sid looks at Shawn Michaels. Sid tosses Brett in the ring. Shawn Michaels goes to get his chair. Oh, no, but Sid pushes Shawn Michaels down. Sid heads inside. Brett whips Sid into the ropes, but Sid reverses it. The heartbreak kid is standing on the apron, and oh, no! Brett Hart and Shawn Michaels collide face first. Brett is now crouched down in pain in the ring. Sid goes for the powerbomb. He hits it. Jim Ross yells powerbomb three times. I won't do it to save your ears. Sid covers. One, two, three. Sid is victorious. Psycho Sid has just powerbombed his way to immortality. I don't know, Jim. That's that's a pretty bold statement. Vince adds in, Shawn Michaels is hurt. Shawn Michaels is hurt. Showing us what really matters. Vince, though, does put over that Sid has achieved back-to-back pay-per-view victories over the Heartbreak Kid and Bret Hart, which is really, really something. An unbelievable turn of events here tonight in your house. It's time! Bret heads to the outside. Shawn Michaels is up. Bret sucker punches Shawn Michaels. Come on, Bret, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Brett shows his Canadian-based power by pulling Shawn Michaels' shirt over his head before punching him, which, of course, allows him to get the upper hand. Sid continues to celebrate and smiles at the chaos he's left in his wake. Vince yells, So long, everyone! Oh, wait, no. First, let's go to a replay. Okay. (laughs) We see a replay of what happened. That's nice. Jim Ross confirms it will be Sid versus Shawn Michaels at the Royal Rumble. Shawn's back up to his feet, and he grabs a headset and starts yelling into it, but the audio is not on on this headset. They finally get the audio turned on when Shawn makes his final words, and all we hear is Shawn yell, Kick your teeth down your throat! Shawn Michaels then walks away and gets in a lady's face at ringside. Now this woman is trying to rub a Shawn Michaels. This woman's male companion is not pleased that his female companion wants to rub a Shawn Michaels. He starts yelling in Shawn's face, it's crazy. I feel like Shawn is about to pop off on this nerdy looking guy at any moment. Vince yells, we have seen it all, ladies and gentlemen, in your house, it's time! And we suddenly fade to black. And folks, that is the end of In Your House, It's Time. And it is the end of Concrete Man's journey through 1996, as this indeed is a December 1996 pay-per-view. Wow. Well, of course, we started back in May of 95 with the inaugural In Your House. We've now gone through 1996, and folks, I'm, I'm starting to get a little scared here, because 1997 is the year when Vince McMahon will only sparsely and occasionally appear on in-your-house pay-per-views to commentate. I don't think he does Final Four. I don't think he does Cold Day in Hell. I know he does Revenge of the Taker. I just, I don't know, fans. We're going to have to keep an eye on what we're going to do for the continued adventures of Concrete Man in 1997. Maybe we'll have to have a couple of specials. I don't know. This isn't the end. I want to make that very clear. Concrete Man will continue on the Multiverse of Fabulousness podcast feed, but the form might feel a little different in the future. I don't know. I don't know. We're running out of in-your-houses. 
But I cannot leave the concrete man behind. He is my favorite. And speaking of favorites, here on the Multiverse of Fabulous' podcast feed, check out everything we do. And I guarantee one of these multiversal-themed shows is going to be your favorite. Whether we're looking at in-your-house pay-per-views, just random wrestling matches, bad movies, or anything in between. Make sure you subscribe to the Multiverse of Fabulousness so you get notified when new shows drop. And thanks for listening to the latest edition of Concrete Man. I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you.